Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. If you haven't already listened to the podcast called Pre-Genesis Information, you might want to go back and listen to that one before you continue here. That podcast gives you some information about the source documents that are stitched together to create the first five books of our Bible called the Pentateuch or the Torah. It also contains some of the creation stories that come to us from the cultures that surrounded the Hebrew people. They'll help these chapters of Genesis make more sense for you. Chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis are called prehistory or primeval history. This section of scripture really um, indicates the stubborn nature of God's love and God's absolute refusal to give up on humanity, even when we probably deserved it. It also looks at the dark side or the dark nature of human behavior and the spread of sin as it becomes pervasive in us. God created things good, and then humans messed it up, and we will continue to mess it up until we learn to listen to and live as God intends. Chapter 1 contains the first of two creation stories. It comes to us from the P or priestly source, and it's organized very much like a chant, a song. It's a poem. It's metered. It's almost as though it was written to be used in worship as a liturgy. Um, Rhyming was not at all important in Hebrew poetry. Um, And even if it was present, we would most likely lose it as we translate things into English. Hebrew poetry tended to use repetition, parallelism, um, and something called chiasmus. This is where an author introduces words or concepts and then later repeats them or related concepts in reverse order. So an A, B, B, A, or A, B, C, C, B, A. Let me give you a couple of examples. I lead the life I love. I love the life I lead. That's an A, B, C, C, B, A. Here's another one. Naked I rose from the grave. To the grave I fall clothed. That's an ABC CBA, but we have a, we have opposites, naked and clothed, rise and fall, and they hinge around um, grave, which is C. So we're going to see some of that as well. In this first creation story, God effortlessly creates simply by speaking the universe into existence. This is not a scientific explanation for the universe. The Bible focuses on the who and the what, not the how. It's going to talk about the why and not the how. Okay. So the in the Memphis version of the Egyptian creation story that I told in the pre Genesis podcast, Ptah 
creates by speaking, but he doesn't create to full creation. Ptah has to create a tomb who then creates four times removed before we actually get to created things. So first Ptah creates Shu and Tefnut who create Geb and Nut who then create Osiris, Set, and Nephthys who create. But our God, the God of the Hebrews, creates ex nihilo out of nothing. He just speaks it into existence. He needs no help. He needs no intermediaries. All is a formless void. It is dark and watery, and God speaks, and it exists. In verse 1, the wind of God is the Spirit of God. Um, it is the same word used for Holy Spirit. There. Okay, so on day 1, light is created. Notice that light is created before the sun. So light exists apart from whatever it is that gives off light. And we have the creation of day and night. Day two, there's a dome over the world that becomes the atmosphere. This represents a pre-scientific understanding of the universe as a domed canopy that is supported by mountains at each end of a flat disc-shaped earth. Um, And God names this dome um, sky. On day three, the waters are gathered to expose land, and those are named earth and sea. Now, all the essential components of creation of the universe have been given. We have day and night, sky, earth, and sea. This completes the first act of creation. Now we're going to have the first secondary act of creation in vegetation, plants and trees. On day four, We have the sun, the moon, and the stars to give light and to keep light and darkness separate. On day five, water creatures and birds are created. On day six, land creatures, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals are created, as well as human beings. Notice that scripture says, let us create humans in our own image. It's plural. Um, We believe this is a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we talk about this creation in the image of God as the Imago Dei, um, the image or likeness of God. We're also told to take dominion. Dominion means to subdue and care. Um, God has created order out of chaos, and we're supposed to do the same thing, tame the chaos and maintain the order, and don't let chaos take back over. There is nothing here that gives us license to use, misuse, and abuse. They, God, created humankind. Nothing else said that God created only one or only one pair of birds, trees, fish. More than likely, God created many. Um, So there is the idea here that God creates many human beings as male and female, but multiples of them. God tells the birds and the water creatures to be fruitful and multiply. Um, He doesn't say this to the land animals, but he does say it to human beings. So look at verse 22 and 28. Notice the pattern when I talk about it being written as though it was to be used as a liturgy in worship, that there's a pattern to each day. That's the repetition that they liked in Hebrew poetry. 
Each time it says, and God said, then something is created and named. God declares it good. And then it says there was evening and there was morning, and this was the whatever number day. Notice that days begin with the night. In creation, there was darkness before there was light. So the same kind of um, pattern continues. There is um, night and then day. And they were still calculating days in this same way when Jesus comes. Sabbath began on at sundown Friday night and ended at sundown Saturday night. Chapter uh, verse 29, we see that there is vegetation um, that's growing and human beings are vegetarians prior to the flood. Animals and humans, um, we're not eating other creatures, we're eating the vegetation at this point. In verse 31, God calls it all very good. It's the only time we get that emphasis on very. Um, We were originally righteous in our core. We were created and called good, very good. Um, This is a central Wesleyan idea that evil did not exist at creation. Evil was not necessary. Evil enters the world because of the decision of human beings to exercise the free will God gave us to disobey. And with that disobedience, sin entered the world. Now we move into chapter two. The first three verses belong to creation story one. God has finished God's work of creation. And so God rests. Um, This seventh day is blessed and hallowed. Um, And we rest because God rests. If God chooses to rest or needs to rest, how much more do we need to rest and we should choose to rest? And this is the end of the first creation story. Right behind it is a second creation story, um, which happens in a very different order. The second creation story comes to us from the J source or the Yahwistic source. And they prefer the name Yahweh for Lord. This is usually rendered as the word Lord in all capital letters. Um, and sometimes as well, um, Yahweh Elohim. So they bring the two names together. This version is not a poem. It's not poetic. It is prose narrative. It emphasizes relationship and explains our relationship to God and our relationship to one another, especially with people we fall in love with and create a life with. Uh, The heavens and the earth have been created. So we have the earth and sky, the waters and the seas, Um, but there's no plants on it yet. This is also pre-rain. The land is watered from underneath by streams. And then man is formed out of the ground. There's a word play here that we miss in the English. The word man is Adam. um, And the word for ground is Adama. So man is made out of the ground. Adam comes from Adama. And then God breathes into this man the breath of life and he becomes a living being. 
<coughs> excuse me, he doesn't just begin to breathe. He becomes a living being because of the breath of God. Now, after man has been created, God plants a garden for man. There are trees, and these include the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is not going to bode well for us in the future. There are four rivers, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates rivers. Um, The very word Eden means delight or paradise. Adam is to till the ground and keep the garden. To till means to work or serve. This would be what laborers and workers do. And to keep is to watch over it, to preserve it. This would be what a bodyguard, a gatekeeper would do to preserve and protect. Again, there's no license for using up, misusing, or abusing here. Um, This is the very picture of servant leadership, to want the best for the earth, to want the earth to be good, not for the earth to serve us. Now, the tree of life implies that human beings were created mortal. They would need to eat from the tree of life in order to continue to live. The tree of life is also mentioned in Proverbs 3.18, 11.30, 13.12, and 15.4, as well as in Revelation 2.7, and 14.19. Or, excuse me, chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 2, 14, and 19. I need to make sure my notes are readable. Um, It is wisdom, the fruit of righteousness, and the reward for those who overcome and follow God's commandments in Revelation. Some have suggested that there's really only one tree that is being called by two different names, um, so that there is good and evil, and good and evil would mean knowing everything. Like now you'll know everything, not just, you can't just be naive and only know and experience the good. You'll know everything now. Judaism says that this is where uh, good and evil began to be mixed, was in the taking and the eating of the fruit. Before this fruit is eaten, evil had only been a nebulous possibility. But Um, It was not inside the human nature to desire evil. But once the fruit is taken and eaten, um, it gives birth to the evil inclination inside of us. And so um, we have to be barred from the fruit. Um, And when we are barred from this fruit, we will seek we will seek satisfaction for that evil inclination in other ways. We'll be, we'll begin to be evil to one another and to the creation. The fruit here is commonly depicted as an apple, but apples were not common in the, the Near East at the time. Um, one origin that could explain this is a wordplay here, um, that by eating the apple, Eve contracts contracts evil. The word for apple in Latin is malum, and the word for evil is malum. The difference is that apple has two L's in it. So by eating the malum, Eve contracts malum. Um, There's also the possibility that the apple was the sacred fruit of some of the indigenous peoples in Europe, particularly in the Celtic regions, and 
by making this the fruit that the serpent gets Eve to eat, it helps to demonize that indigenous religion so that that Christianity could be spread there. In verses 18 through 24, we are finally going to see the creation of woman. So the basics of the world existed. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, form Adam out of the dust of the ground, breathe life into him, create a garden to make him happy, create all these animals. Um, and now they notice this is the first time that anything is called not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. All the animals were created in an effort to give man partners. So this explains why we do tend to have this connection with the animal kingdom, that we have pets and animals and dogs who come to love us very much and we love them, but still they're not, they're not our equal. Um, a dog may be man's best friend, but isn't man's life partner. Um, so Adam has named all of the animals that are created and naming implies rule or some control over them, as well as responsibility for the thing that is named. In verse 20, man is actually called by name for the first time. Um, It's the second occurrence of the word man in the verse that is actually capitalized, and it may or may not be in your particular translation because not all of them do. But now the Hebrew word for man, which is Adam, is simply capitalized, and he becomes named Adam. In verse 21, woman is made from his rib. The rib is taken from Adam's side, um, and I think that gives us a very good picture. Woman is not taken from man's head, um, that one should lord it over the other, nor is woman made out of Adam's foot, that she should be under his subjugation. I think this shows, because woman is taken from the rib, from the side, that they are to be partners to walk beside one another together through life. I think this shows that the subjugation of women, that all of this patriarchy, was never intended to be part of the creation plan. As we continue, I think it's going to show that That is actually part of the fall. It's part of the curse that comes with that. And that Jesus' death and resurrection reverses the curse. And so that idea of women having to be subjugated, um, it, it no longer applies. It's no longer valid. In verse 23, um, God presents the woman to the man. And he says, Ooh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's another way of saying hubba hubba. Um, Adam likes what he sees. There's another word play that happens here. Um, another word for man is ish, and an, and the word for woman is isha. Um, she's of him, of ish. Um, this stresses the intimacy that comes in this relationship. He and she belong to one another in a way that defines what it is to be human, um, to be in relationship with one another that is distinguished from our relationship with any other part of creation. Verses 24 and 25 say that they become one flesh. Um, we often hear people talk about the fact that when you find your life partner, 
you it is the reuniting of two halves to make one whole. The problem with that is there's there's nothing in the Hebrew that indicates that a person is less than whole as they are created. You are whole and valuable and complete as a single autonomous person. You were created in the image of God as an individual. But when we choose a life partner, we merge. Our whole being merges with the whole being of the person with whom we unite. And it is a physical and emotional merging in such a way and to such an extent that we become one. Notice also that there is no shame in God's created order. Shame and nakedness are not inherently joined to our created state. Shame and nakedness, shame over nakedness comes with the fall um, because now the sin of lust exists. Um, And so those are our two creation stories in Genesis chapters 1 and chapter 2. They happen in very different orders. The stories are told to, to emphasize two different points. I believe the first creation story is intended to imply that the God of of the Hebrew people, Almighty God, Yahweh, is creator of everything that all the other cultures around them worship. Basically, it is saying, our daddy's bigger than your daddy. Our daddy can beat up your daddy um, because our God is better. Our God created all the things that you think are gods, like sun and moon and stars and animals. Um, And I believe the second one talks very much about why human beings are different than any other living creature in creation and why we have this relationship to one another as well as to God. And the people who put together these traditions and wrote the Torah of the Bible, we believe inspired by the Holy Spirit, don't have any problem putting both of these creation stories right here next to each other. If we want to talk about them being literally and scientifically true, they can't both be true. But that's not what it's about. It's not about historical literalness. It's about what it tells us, what it reveals to us of God and about God's relationship with human beings, which is what the Bible is, the story of God and who God is revealed to be to us and for us as part of God's creation. So I don't think we have to choose between science and Bible, nor even do we have to choose between more than one story or celebration of God's creative acts. So that is a discussion of creation in Genesis 1 and 2.